I saw successful African-American teachers. I saw successful African-American people all throughout the building. The custodians were black. The teacher assistants were black. The lunchroom monitors were black. The teachers were black. The recess monitors were black. The community was black. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? Uh, my name is Charles Asiambi. I'm currently an assistant principal at CICS Wrightwood School. Wow, that's a loaded question when we say, why do Black educators matter? And I say it's a loaded question because there's just a myriad of answers to this one question. It's so broad. When I think about it in a nutshell, it's just Black educators matter because students need to see people of color, right? They need to see people who look like them, who sound like them, who've had many of the same experiences, and understand the challenges and obstacles that they may have to overcome in order to be successful. So I think that's one of, for me, that's one of the primary reasons why Black educators matter, right? Um, you tend to get better outcomes when the person who's teaching me, the person who is instructing me is the person who I can identify with and who I know, like, knows me and knows where I come from. And that's not to say that other people of different races are not able to also know kids and know where they come from, but I think they perform more. You have better academic outcomes when you have people who look like them um, and people who they can identify with. Now, where are you from, Mr. Asiambi? So I was born in the United States. However, my parents are both immigrants. My mother and father are both from Nigeria. We immigrated to Chicago back in, well, we'll say somewhere around 1972. So, yeah, that's that's just a little bit about me, I guess, and my background. So are you from the city? Did you grow up in the city? Yeah, I'm born and raised in Chicago, south side of Chicago. I've always lived pretty much most of my life has been in Chicago. A little time going away to college, of course, obviously. But, yeah, pretty much born and raised in Chicago. That's That's me. If you can remember your K through eight experience on the South side of Chicago, what was it like for you? And did you identify as the child of immigrants or did you just see yourself as a black boy on the South side of Chicago? So for me, it was both. I went to Holy Angels Catholic school and had a phenomenal think experience. Like any kid, I definitely believe I had my Challenges and obstacles being a kid of immigrants whose culture in some cases was very different, even from the other African-American kids who went to Holy Angels as well. But I think as a whole, when I look back at my experiences at Holy Angels, it was a very holistic and rich experience. Um, seeing black educators who were like me, black educators who took me under their wing and made sure that I had a very good education and sound in both reading, math, social studies, and science in order to not only succeed, but for me, they laid the foundation for future. As when we talk about high school, secondary education, and beyond, 
my foundation was laid at Holy Angels. And it really was, when I say a holistic experience, looking back, it definitely was. From the arts, from sports, all of those things were offered to each and every individual at the school. I saw African-American teachers who were like me. I saw successful African-American teachers. I saw successful African-American people all throughout the building. The custodians were black. The teacher assistants were black. The lunchroom monitors were black. The teachers were black. The recess monitors were black. The community was black, right? Everything about the school, right? (laughs) Except probably some of the administrators obviously were African-American. I think for me, that was, as I've grown older, I've realized just how important that was, right? People who took me under their wing, right? Being an African-American kid who was also an immigrant and understanding, like, you know, here's just some of the challenges and things that I may have to face. So it was a, it was a very awesome experience. In fact, an experience that I drew on as I went into high school and even in college, if you can believe it. So that I clearly was prepared when we talk about just my K through eighth experience at Holy Angels. So let's talk about the high school experience. So you had this amazing elementary experience. How was it for you going into high school? So high school, I had a good experience in high school. I went to Leo Catholic School as well. So I continued the tradition. Are you Catholic? Uh, I am not Catholic. Okay. But I did. I went to Holy Angels. I think back then, Chicago Public Schools, I know, did not get a very good, I guess, rating back in the 70s and even 80s. And in fact, I think most people know at one point it was considered some of the worst public schools in America. And my parents, for my parents, that was it. That was everything for them. Like they came to America to get a better way of life for their kids. They came to get education. It was it was that important to them that they left their home country in order to make sure that you know, they could improve their education, right? And not only improve their education, but make sure that their kids could get the best education. So I uh, went to Holy Angels, as I stated, and then I went to Leo, had a good experience at Leo. A different experience, though. Leo was all boys, which was definitely different for me. <laughs> but still, once again, it's probably the first time where I'd say at least half of the instructors were teachers of another race. But it still was a good experience. Uh, very, I, I guess when I think about Leo, the thing I'll say is like it was a bunch of, I felt that it was a very rich experience. And from the perspective of it just, it was like a big brother, a big brother feeling, you know, all of these boys. And, you know, you got the machoism going around, you know. <laughs> but it was like, it, it was kind of like, you know, you're my little brother when I got there. We're going to take care of you. We're going to teach you, uh, you know, just teach you and make sure you understand like what the experiences you need in order to be successful before you leave here. I had some really good teachers there. And then I went on and left and I went to Lewis University. So what led you to begin a career in education? Were you declared an education major when you went to Lewis? No. In fact, when people ask me, it's funny you used to say that or ask that question. When people ask me, like, how did I get into education? I just point out to the fact it's just it was just a series of events. It was almost like a, I won't say a, a series of comedic events, but it was just a series of events that just happened in my life. And then looking back, as I frequently like to do, it was a kind of ordained when I think about it, right? I went to college. I was a pre-law major, decided to get a degree in psychology and philosophy, which is where I got my degree. The whole outcome or my whole goal was to 
make sure that I went to law school. And I applied for law school after graduating from Lewis. Got on a waiting list of several universities, right? But could not get into law schools. But I did get on a waiting list to quite a bit of law schools. But one law school in particular, because I was a philosophy major and because there were not a lot of students of color who were actually getting higher degrees in philosophy, offered to let me take law classes. So when I got off the waiting list, I would have a bunch of classes under my belt, and that's what happened. So I went to Northern Illinois University as a philosophy grad student, right? And I was taking law classes with the other law students. The goal was, I'm going to continue to take these law classes as well as get a master's in philosophy. And after my first year, I liked my law classes. I did not like the study in philosophy. And at that point, I just really started to realize that a lot of what lawyers do was writing, sitting behind a desk doing research. And I knew that that really wasn't me. And so when I came home, I pretty much told my parents, you know what, I think a change in plans, a change in goals <laughs> that, you know, law school wasn't for me. And they kind of were, they kind of gave me the side eye because, you know, education was important. But they pushed me just basically to say, you know what, figure out what you want to do. And it was that summer that I decided, you know, what was, when I look back, what was, what was the one thing that I had a lot of fun with and like brought me the most enjoyment. And I felt that it was my time at Holy Angels, right? It was my time at Holy Angels and and just the energy and what they put into me, all of the learning they put into me, the holistic environment. And I decided at that time, let me see if I could get a job helping out at Holy Angels, whether it was a teacher assistant, whether it was a teacher. I had heard of some of the other Holy Angels alum who were either a year before me, a couple of years before me, had gone back and taught. And I was like, you know what, let me look into that. Let me see if that's something that I would like to do. So I went to Holy Angels, of course. And, you know, now I'm this 20-something-year-old young guy. I observed classes for several days there, enjoyed it, really liked it, and decided to apply to become a teacher there. I mean, that was my first job. It was my first job. I was a sixth grade teacher, and of course, in the Catholic schools, (laughs) (laughs) self-contained, self-contained, right? So you taught everything. You taught all subjects, reading, math, social studies, science, spelling, penmanship even. So you taught everything. So I was a sixth grade teacher. I did teach eighth grade math as well. So, yeah, I did that for uh, two years and yeah, did that for two years and then decided to go back. I took another job as a social worker. They paid for school. So I went back to school because I knew I wanted at that point. I knew after two years at the Catholic teaching at the Catholic school that I wanted to do this. I wanted to pursue this career full time. Yeah, I went and became a social worker. They paid for school. They paid for me to get certified to be a full-time teacher and after getting my certification which basically was another two and a half years started at warren elementary school as a sixth grade reading same thing self-contained sixth grade teacher at warren elementary school so yep and the rest is history i was uh i was an elementary school teacher for somewhere what between four and six years somewhere in there and before i jumped into administration I was about to ask you, like, let's run down this history and these credentials. So you are an assistant principal at an elementary school. You've been a social worker. 
at an elementary school. You've been an elementary school teacher with multiple grades. Have you worn any other hats in this education space? So sixth grade teacher, I'm a reading specialist by trade. So although I wasn't ever in the considered the reading specialist of the school, I was a reading specialist for the sixth through eighth grade students that were at Warren during that time and helping and supporting those kids and just uh, my colleagues and making sure we were bringing effective reading instruction to students. So, yeah. And how long have you been in education? I've been in education in some way or form since 1997, I think it is. I've been in education since 1997 in some way or form, yeah. That was a good year. Was I in seventh grade? (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, when I go back and I look back, when you talk about, I think, your question and just reviewing your question or reflecting on your question, you asked why, like, why did I become an educator? Like, for me, it was a series of events. And although it's stating what happened in my life, how I went from started as a law school student and started to obtain a master's degree in philosophy. As I look back, it was ordained for me, as I stated, to be an educator. For me, I look back on the how I grew up. My parents, education was everything for my parents. Like, And they, uh, it drove me crazy at some point. <laughs> right? At times, it literally drove me crazy. Right. Because everything to them was about education. If we got home, it was no, you know, while the other kids went outside to play for us, it was do homework. When we had free time, you know, while other kids went outside and played and did all of that, it was first you need to read a book or you need to do right. You need to do something as far as education is concerned. You need to study. That was my life for so many years. Right. It was everything. I mean, everything that they did revolved it revolved around education so much i mean we were a very weren't we're a poor family to just be honest with you but my parents sacrificed everything to make sure that we myself and my brothers and sisters we all got a very good sound education right when they said used every penny that they had working multiple jobs at some points to make sure that we went to good schools and got quality education but I mean, in saying that it got on my nerves that time, like, like it was ordained, like these were the experiences that were in me, that were inbred in me. And my experiences were with school and, you know, having fun at school, uh, get the friends that I made at school, the, the experiences, like the plays that I was a part of, what, what do you call them? The break dancing for talent shows and all of those things and going to games, right? And hanging out with friends, everything for me was about you know, just how positive schools can be, right? How positive an effect of and a nurturing environment a school can have on a student. So I think when I look back and just all of those experiences, that is what helped me. And that is what molded me, shaped me into the person I am to get to the point where I'm like, you know, I wanted to be an educator. And then I think from there, it just, it just took on a life of its own because for me, Knowing, you know, that my parents sacrificed everything in order to make sure that myself and my siblings, we all got a very good education. And I just saw as I got older, just the opportunities that I didn't have as a younger kid, right, being that we were poor, 
black family, but just seeing all of the, the ability to travel and do a bunch of things, it was all because of, you know, the experiences I had and those experiences are, I don't get those experiences if I didn't have a good education, right? If I didn't have an opportunity to go to a good high school or go to a good college and stay after college, get a master's degree, none of those experiences or a lot of those experiences I don't have access to. And I feel like it's because of the education. For me, it was everything. Education was everything. And I just felt that if I could give that back to other kids, like, I just felt like they'd be better off. Anybody would be better off. And I just, I'm just a firm believer that education changes lives. I tell, you know, I used to tell that story to my kids. Like, you know, I don't know if I should have been telling them at the young age, but I used to say a lot of times, you know, I knew they wanted the Nikes. My kids, they, you know, being that I taught in inner city schools where a lot of families may not have been fluent and a lot of families were like me, poor, right? Coming up, like, you know, if you want to change your life, if you want to change your circumstances, if you want to change your situation, well, you know, the first start for me, or at least one of the things that you needed to focus on was getting a good education. And I felt that that was huge. So, yeah. Shout out to your parents because they really did sacrifice that. And it's so beautiful to see that, like, in the beginning, they really emphasize the importance of education, but now you have chosen this path on Mm -hmm. purpose. Like, so it's like everything that they poured into you is now overflowing and you're pouring it back out into other communities. And speaking of that overflow, you've mentioned how Holy Angels laid the foundation. How did your Holy Angels experience influence your approach as a school leader? Wow. So... My experience in my time at Holy Angels helped me to realize, like, it's the importance of having a holistic culture and just the importance of making sure when I say holistic, what does holistic mean? Like, that holistic culture just means you you have the arts, you have good instruction, you have good teachers, you have a group of educators who really want to make sure you have a really great experience as a kid, right, regardless of you know, whatever is going around, like you get the opportunity to play sports, you you have the opportunity to sing and dance if that's what you want to do. Uh, you have the opportunity to excel, once again, in sports or, or just you had an opportunity to do whatever you want. When I think back on my time at Holy Angels, I definitely think that that was one of the biggest things that I took away. This is just one of many stories, and we want to keep the conversation going. Follow us on Instagram at blackeducators.matter. Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. Shout out to creating a holistic culture and understanding all of the different elements that create this student experience. What has been the most impactful moment you've had as an educator thus far? Most impactful moment that I've had as an educator thus far. I don't know if there has been really one moment. And when I think about it, I can't think of actually one specific moment. I think that there are experiences over time that have 
gotten me to where I'm at right now, where I'm starting to focus more on the curriculum that we are putting in front of children, specifically children of color, African-American children, right? There is nothing that just I just like I always gravitate toward and say, ooh, this experience. I think that there is a confluence. There is a series of things that have happened to me from my time teaching, going back to Holy Angels to teach, to my time teaching at Warren, my first elementary school, to my time as an assistant principal at Warren, to my time as a principal, to my time now even at Wrightwood. And I think in totality, what I have learned, I've learned to look at curriculum and to realize that the curriculum that we use, we are using right now needs to support and needs to be tailored to meet the needs of our African-American students. And specifically for me, it was around boys, right? But it's definitely around African-American boys. Because when you look at all of the studies, when we look at all of the data, they are a big population who are getting left behind. So I think for me, it's about how do you make sure that you have a good, lively curriculum that is interesting and focuses on their history, not only their history, things that they may not have, they may not know about their history and things that they may not know about that pulls them in and gets them to learn to have even better outcomes uh, at the end of the day, better academic outcomes. Now, I have a a question for you that I am so curious to hear your response to, especially with all of your experience you've had working in education, knowing that you went to school to study law, but ended up with a philosophy degree and a psych background. So all of those lenses, I will ask you this. What is the state of education in black America and how did we get here? Oh, wow. State of education in Black America, I think if you look at it, I think that there has been definitely some advancement, right? There are more African Americans who are going to college, who are getting degrees, who have very good jobs, very good life. So I think when we look at where we were 50, 75 years ago, clearly, right, there have been gains. There have even been gains in just academic outcomes for students over the years, but I think the state of education for African Americans, although we've had successes, it's just not meeting the bar, right? In terms of black African American boys, we're starting to see a high percentage of African American boys who are being left behind. I think there's still the disparity when we talk about academic outcomes. You still have Caucasian students, African-Americans counterparts who are still doing way better than they are doing at this time. So I think that when we look back as a whole, I think we realize that it is still the education. It's not where it needs to be. It's just not. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm even being clear, but I definitely think that we just have students who are still not achieving at the levels that we I know. And I think others around the world know that our African-American students could be achieving that. The reason why, one, I definitely think it's about curriculum. I definitely feel like part of it is about curriculum. What are the problems or challenges that you see in curriculum, specifically when thinking about black boys? So I think one of the things is it's not the curriculum that's currently in place it's stale to African-American boys. I think it's stale. I don't think 
that it meets them, meets the needs. I think that when we talk about education and when we talk about educating African-American students, one of the best ways that you can educate African-American students is using curriculum to that is engaging to them, that interests them, that brings them in to learning. And I think right now, if you look at the curriculum that is available or is being used in a lot of schools right now, I don't think it's I don't think that it meets that. It's not rich in culture. It's not rich in ethnicity. It's not rich in self-identity, right? It, it's none of those things. And I think as a result, we're losing students, right? Because the books and things that they're reading, the things that they're reading about, it has no significance, it, it, right? I, I have no experience. I cannot identify with any of these things. And as such, I think that especially in these challenging times, that's, you know, why we are losing and losing students, right? So, yeah. Are schools uh, designed for children of color? Yeah, if you probably would have asked me that years ago, I would say, probably would have said, as a younger teacher, yes, and uh, my answer is now, no now, because I think we see the disparity. We see so many students who are falling behind we see the disparity between you know, student out achievement, right? Between Caucasian students and students of color, we see the disparity between them. So I, I definitely think that the answer is no, um, it's not. And I think one of the things that we're going to have to look at in order to make sure that schools are for students of color, African-American students, right? It's going to need to, we're going to have to take a hard look at the curriculum and how we're putting together curriculum for our students in order for them to be successful, right? The days of having a basal book, as I like to call it, I'm very, because it was the way I learned. It's not meeting the needs of our kids. Stories that have no cultural relevance to our kids, stories where they only read maybe an excerpt from a book of something, right, that they have no experience with. It doesn't identify with them, no, right? They, it doesn't meet with this identity. They don't understand. It's not meeting the bar, right? It's not. It's not drawing in our boys. It's not drawing in our girls. It's not drawing in students, right? It's not drawing in enough students. We have too many kids that are being left behind. So no, I think you are going to have to look at curriculum, and we're going to have to revamp the curriculum, and just understand that we also have to. We have to think about culture and making sure that we have a positive culture in our schools, right, that are welcoming to students and pour into them, right, like Colleen just poured into me, where students are happy to come into the schools, where students are happy to come to school and feel like they're going to get a great experience. And I think currently the way that schools are set up, it's not, they're not set up to give students these rich experiences that I experienced when I was young. It's not set up to support students who have obstacles and challenges in their lives. It's not. And as such, that's why I think we're consistently seeing right students who are falling behind by the wayside and as such. You know, we have to we have to change our schools. We definitely have to change our schools. You talked about how your parents really emphasize the importance of education. As a school leader, how do you build relationships with parents? to bring them into this school experience? Yeah, oh, good question. Oh, goodness. 
How do I build relationships? <laughs> Say that question one more time. Well, just because you started off talking about how, like, your parents, the reason that you have eventually fallen in love with this education and the process of education is because your parents really emphasize how important it was. They came to this country to make sure that you and your siblings had access. They heard about CPS not meeting the bar, and they said, no, you're going to go to this different school. So you grew up with parents that advocated for you, whether you all recognized it as advocacy or not. So as a school leader, how do you help build relationship with parents so that they can also be involved in this experience, in this holistic culture? Yeah, so I think while my parents, like, right, built that advocacy in me, I want to also point out, like, my parents are not, were unlike most parents. I think it was, listen, you're going to get education, a good education, and we're going to knock you upside the head if you don't get it. So it was, we trust this school, right? Um, and as great as my parents are, I love them to death. They sent us to school with the understanding that I am giving my kids, the people who I trust and feel like they're going to do the best for them. You tell me what you need, but I trust that you would do that. And for me, when we talk about how do I involve parents, how do I get parents involved, I think it starts with the kid. So when we talk about the kid, the student, you have to build relationships with these kids because I, I'm a firm believer you first start there and build those relationships with those kids, right? with a lot of things that are going on in the world and a lot of things that are going on in children's home, you develop and build those relationships with those kids first and build that culture within your school, like, which is huge. Right. And that is a, that is one area that I think over the years I have changed. I've realized like you just can't attack education and like, attack curriculum first. You have to make sure you set up that culture. But if you develop those relationships with kids, develop those relationships, develop a great school culture. And then I think you, go backwards when you're putting that you're putting all of this in kids they go back home and they tell their parents right and even when they don't tell their parents their parents know when they're happy parents know when their kids are having a good time even if they don't necessarily communicate it just like they know when they're they know when their kids are unhappy or they know when their kids are not and i'll say in some cases not getting what they need to get and i think when you do that you bring in parents you get parents engaged and I think at that point, that's when you you make sure that, one, there's transparency. You make sure that you're letting parents know what the goal is. How are you planning to get to the goal? How will you arrive at your goal? And just what you are doing. So opening the lines of communication. Communicate, communicate, communicate. So definitely communicate, communicate, communicate to parents, letting them know what's going on, how you're developing and building an excellent school, and then definitely engaging them to get the help, to get their support in ways, right, that will continue to foster and build the school. So I think that's the way you gauge parents. You engage them from the kids, right, backward, and then you bring in the programs, you bring in the curriculum nights, you bring in all of those things to let parents know, like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how you can help your child. Like, this is how we can make sure we're giving a holistic experience to every kid that is in the school. This is how we're supporting them. This is how we're challenging them. This is how we're holding them accountable. This is how they're going to be successful for this grade. This is how they're going to be successful next year when they're in the next grade and so on and so on. Right. And this is what we can do as a a community to make sure that students are getting that holistic experience. Right. That I talk about. And you just continue to like make sure that you communicate with them. And I think everything 
like works works well. So. so you've been involved in education for 23 years. Yeah, something like that. Shout out to the 23. <laughs> How have you grown since you began your career? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what I've learned, I think I've learned quite a bit during my 23 years as an educator. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is teachers are everything. When you have good teachers in front of students, they can make a huge impact and a huge difference on kids. So I think that's one of the things I've learned over the years. Two, I think more so over the years as I've gotten older with age and gained some wisdom, you can't do this job alone. You can't do this job. And as a person who's been an assistant principal as well as a principal, you cannot be successful in this job alone. It is a group job. It is a team job. And the teachers are the backbone of the team. That is like what I've learned. I've learned that they are the most important um, piece to this. So that is something I've learned. I've also learned you can't counsel out everybody, right? And I think sometimes being a, I'll say that I, w- I was a young administrator, right? Being a young administrator at one point in my career and also wanting the best for kids, right? And then understand, wanting the best for kids, you And a young administrator that sometimes I felt that I was maybe a little too rash in counseling out teachers. And I think over the years, over my 23 years, I've realized specifically early in my career to now, I realized it's not about counseling teachers out. Like you do have to counsel teachers out, but it's about supporting and making sure, right, that you are working with teachers to make sure that kids are getting this rich experience. Teachers, students are getting a quality education that's grounded in good academics and great culture, great culture, social interactions. It's just a real, like, it's just an experience that's great. And I real, I think early in my career, I kind of came in with that gun ho mentality, like I'm going to come into schools. I know what the issue is. I know what the problems is. And I think that if you're not on board, I need to counsel you out. You're not, you know, and that it doesn't have to be, that is not the way that it has to be. And so I think the, that when I boil it, those are some of the, those are some of the lessons. And I think now I'm starting to move toward the other lessons I've learned. Uh, this whole piece about making sure that we look at our curriculums, right? and making sure that we are putting curriculum in front of students that is engaging to them. Like, so often I hear, well, this is the curriculum we have. I hear people say, it doesn't matter if the curriculum is boring or not. Like, we all know that we have to do and read, and, and like, everything is not going to be fun. Every I get that. But I also think that there is a depth, there is a, a wealth of opportunities to make sure that the learning that students do especially when we talk about African-American students, right? It can be grounded in their history, their culture, the cultures of others. And I think that when we make sure that we are grounding education around those areas, I think that students are readily prepared to be successful in life. So that is, I think, another lesson I'm, I'm coming to realize more and more each and every day. What advice do you have for first-year educators? 
advice I have for first-year educators, be flexible, stay hungry, stay hungry. And when I say stay hungry, what does that mean for me? I think for staying hungry is, first of all, it definitely means be reflective, which is a huge thing for me. I think your best educators are those who reflect, but not only reflect at what they what they are doing, but they're able to look at their craft and look and continually look for ways to improve their craft, right? And realizing like this work is never over, and my job as an educator is to like consistently be flexible, but always. Re- reflect on, you know, what I'm, my craft and how can I improve my craft in order to make sure that the academic outcomes of students improve, right, over time. So, yeah. Be hungry, be flexible. Be, be hungry, be flexible, patient. And be patient. Um, be patient, yeah, especially in that time right now that we're in with a lot of, you know, inner, you, you, when you're working in inner city schools, sometimes there are challenges and obstacles for the our students deal with, that our schools deal with, our communities deal with, and you have to be patient and patient, understanding, but that doesn't mean you have to accept. You work with it, have set goals, short-term goals, long-term goals, celebrate your wins and go from there. So. Thank you for sharing your experiences and just walking us through your educational journey. Are there any Black educators that you would like to thank? Yeah, so... Any black educators that I would like to thank. I think I'd like to thank all of my teachers at Holy Angels Catholic School. Definitely, a lot of people don't believe this, I pretty much can name all of my teachers from kindergarten, right, all the way up to eighth grade. Uh, And I don't know if everybody can do that, right? (laughs) They can't. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely, I'm going to shout them out. Definitely shout out to teachers um, at Leo as well. But yeah. Yeah, those are the educators that I definitely would give a shout-out to. I have to give a shout-out to my first principal. Well, not my first principal. I'll say my second principal at Warren Elementary at the time, which is Miss O'Gilvy. She is the one who actually got me into thinking about going into administration. And when you talk about somebody who is, when I talk about it, think about all of the people who have poured in me and supported me over the years. Her name is one of the first names that comes up. This lady pulled me out of class, right? Pulled me out of class to talk to academic advisors who came to the school looking for cohorts, right, for master's programs. And she thought that much about me to not only recommend me, but other colleagues and say, like, you guys need to get your master's. You need to look into educational administration because we need more African-Americans. We need more African-American males. So I definitely have to make sure that I shout her out. I don't think without her, I'm not necessarily sure I'm where I am um, without the support that she gave. Thank you for sharing that. And just for everything that you've done over these 23 years across the city of Chicago, everything that you've done, it was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Just getting started. Just getting started. It's a lot more to do. So I'm looking forward to the next 23. I didn't know I've been in education that long. Jeez. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? 
Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a black teacher today.